Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure. Timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. And we are back with Matt Marzek, God and Science Part 2. Listen to Part 1 if you didn't. But Matt, I just take it over, man. What are, what are we talking about today exactly? Yeah, what we're talking about today is maybe almost thinking about science. So we're kind of narrowing in based on what we talked about last week. Now, just maybe almost through the lens of two different worldviews. So I want to kind of start with just helping people understand what these two worldviews are. Mm. Because these are the two dominant worldviews in the West, in the world that we live in. Yeah. And these are the worldviews of naturalism and theism. Naturalism claims that only the natural exists. And to really best understand naturalism, it's almost more informative to what it eliminates. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if only the natural exists, that means there's nothing outside of nature. There's nothing nothing supernatural, meaning there's no God. Yeah. Specifically. Like, it, it eliminates God. This is really the broader worldview behind atheism. And... Are all atheists naturalists? Is that fair to say, or is that a misnomer? I don't want to misrepresent them. I, I think that would be a, a fair claim because a, a naturalism is really the, uh, at least consistently, they should yeah. be. Okay, is, is really the broader the broader claim. They're eliminating the supernatural. I guess maybe there could be ways to where, yeah. Let's just let's just stick yeah, with that. Okay. Like, if you're an atheist listening, please correct me if you think differently. But I, I find that hard because so naturalism, to summarize so far, is only the material exists nothing immaterial or is that even a wrong way of characterizing it it's 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 not uh well i guess technically it's wrong because there's a different worldview called materialism which claims that only the material exists but a lot of times a lot of times i use those words interchangeably you're a materialist you're a naturalist okay technically it's not correct because what you you could if if we think of these in terms of circles so this would be probably easier if we could diagram it but naturalism is like the big circle And then within that is a more refined circle, materialism, to where people, uh, materialists, all materialists are naturalists, but all naturalists aren't necessarily materialists, just in the sense that you could be a naturalist, still believe in the immaterial, non-physical, so things like, and a lot of people are, like, they recognize that our thoughts, our perceptions, those kind of things are non-physical, yet at the same time think that they have some sort of natural origin to them. Understood. Yeah, but it but it's a good, it's a good distinction. I a lot of times just because it is a pretty fine nuanced distinction, use them interchangeably. Materialist, okay. naturalist. Okay, so naturalist, one major worldview. That's a that's a major worldview, and in direct competition with this, these don't work together. Is theism, and theism actually starts with the reality of the supernatural. Theism starts mm-hmm. with the reality of a personal creator whom we call God, and God is really who is responsible for all the explanation for all of reality. So on this worldview, it's it's like key to note, This, I mean, this is the worldview or, or theism is the worldview behind Christianity. So all of us as Christians are Christian theists. Yeah, and I mean, most major world religions, uh, Judaism, Islam, uh, you know, and uh, other ones, like you're going to be a theist. So then the other, like Christianity and Islam and all those are subsets of theism. So all of us at least have in common theism as our common denominator exactly exactly and so it's obviously in direct contrast with naturalism because god by definition is outside of nature he's supernatural so they can't work together but it's also important to note that obviously theists don't deny the existence of the natural world so we're not saying that the natural world doesn't exist we're just saying that there's a reality or theists are saying that there's a reality beyond transcends it the transcends it exactly so those are really the two dominant worldviews on the west and what's interesting is to think of, well, how does science relate to either of those worldviews? And when it comes to our broad culture, 
out there in general, I'd say probably most people in general, and maybe even certain Christians, shockingly enough, a lot of people think that science is in conflict with theism. Mm. They're at odds. They don't go together. And you kind of hear this in just how people talk. So someone might, it, it, it would make sense for us to hear someone say something like, hey, I, I don't need theism, or I don't need, don't need belief in God, I don't need religion, I have science. Ah, and yeah. it's presupposing that you have to choose because like it's one or the other. They're at odds. They don't go together. Which in reality, saying you believe in science does not yet tell me whether you subscribe to naturalism or theism. That 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 doesn't communicate that. And you're right that unfortunately some people, especially people who are naturalists, will try to pit it that way. Mm-hmm. They'll say, I'm a naturalist because I believe in science. Well, it's like, well, that man, that, that doesn't follow. That because you believe in science, you automatically led to naturalism. It doesn't follow. But I, I, but most people just assume it. You're right, yeah. And that's where it's, it's, it's deeply problematic because I want, like, I want the audience to feel just how deeply ingrained in culture this is because I think there are even Christians who assume it. Why do I care what science has to say? I have yeah. faith. I, I have the Bible or, or whatever. And it's just naturally kind of presupposing that those things are at odds. Those things, it's, it's one or the other. If you, if you have any allegiance to science, you're disregarding your allegiance to God or scripture or something like that. So this is something that's well ingrained in our culture. And, and so it's, it's really, I, I completely agree with you, and that's what we'll dig into, that there is no conflict. Just saying you believe in science, it doesn't tell you, but in most people's minds, it does. Okay, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Take us in. So I would say what's, what will help us think through this is how, when, when it comes to this, we'll call it, it's been come, come to known as the conflict thesis, this idea that there is this conflict between God and science, how most people come to that or how they would support it. So there's two main ways that they would support it. First, they would, uh, kind of the claim broadly would be that science and the direction it's taking us and the knowledge that we're gaining from science is leading us away from belief in God. And this usually takes the form of a God of the gaps type argument. Mm. And this is the concept that we use God to fill kind of explanatory gaps on things in the world that we just don't understand. Uh, So I look out in the world and I say, I don't really understand how this works. Therefore, God must have done it. And what science is doing is science is really rapidly filling those gaps and so we no longer have any need of explanation for God. So in that point of view, so would some uh, atheists then say, well, then science will just fizzle God out at some point because whatever we can't explain, science will someday explain and therefore you will no longer need God, quote unquote? Exactly. Okay. It will either someday fizzle out or, it, I mean, according to some people, he already has fizzled out I because see. science has already filled those gaps in knowledge. It, it, it makes God's existence just kind of superfluous it's it's there's no need for that explanation anymore because we have sufficient explanations for all the things that we need to explain from science and maybe uh, an example of this would be hey one day or at some points in the past we use kind of god or gods to explain like almost all the workings of the natural world so i explain the sun moving across the sky by a sun god Mm. now through science we don't need that explanation why because through you know just understanding gravity and how the solar systems work and all, all these different things i know that one the sun isn't moving across the sky right mm-hmm. the the earth is rotating and we can explain all of those features through scientific explanations so we don't need that and that's that's that happens more and more and maybe today our our gaps are a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to yeah. the origin of life or 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 the beginning of the universe or whatever but the the trend and what science does is it just fills those gaps and so god is really becoming an unnecessary explanation i can see that being a compelling uh at least from the surface like argument for a naturalist to say like hey can't we then assume that god will one day you will no longer have any argument to stand on because the arguments you're using now will just be one day understood is Mm -hmm. that the kind of angle they would take it with yeah okay and i'm I'm guessing you're not gonna agree with that I'm, I'm definitely not going to agree with that. And so let's, let's just tear down this pillar right now. I think the fundamental, like this, this type of logic is just fundamentally confused. Mm-hmm. And it's really confused at the level of explanation and, and just understanding that there are really different levels of explanations or types of explanations out there. I think that there's an illustration by a Christian thinker named John Lennox that really helps oh, yeah. us grasp this. And uh, he says it so well in his book, uh, God's Undertaker. And 
he basically what he says is you can imagine take take a ford car imagine that someone in this remote village that had no access to technology never had seen anything like this came into contact with this ford car they might be tempted to think that there's some sort of deity or some sort of god maybe in the engine we can call mr ford who's making this vehicle run and you know when the the car runs well it's because mr ford is pleased with them and when it doesn't run well it's because mr ford is upset with them now if they began to learn just physics and and how a combustion engine works and maybe take apart the engine themselves what they're going to learn is not only is there no mr ford in the engine but you don't even need that kind of explanation in the first place you can kind of fully explain it scientifically through you know physics and whatever just the the understandings of the combustion engine now the important point is if they therefore from that came to the further conclusion that because they fully understand the workings of the engine and how the car works, that now they have no need of Mr. Ford in the first place, who even like designed these systems to exist, that would obviously be a fallacy. Because you can't even explain the existence, the workings of the engine in the car in the first place without having Mr. Ford to explain why they like even exist or those systems in general. Okay, so if I'm following, I, I like this. I like this. I could not have explained it that well. Like, so basically, if someone, so using an iPhone too, like, so someone sees the iPhone, and even if you can explain how the iPhone works, you did not diminish the argument that someone created and designed and put together that iPhone. So just because you can explain the iPhone's workings or the Mr. Ford or the car's workings does not take away from the intelligent design of that particular mechanism. Yeah, you haven't done anything to undermine the existence of a Steve Jobs. So that that's where people I think are even misunderstanding what the God the Gaps theory is even saying, am I correct? Yes. They're okay. they're and that's where I call it fundamentally confused because they're fundamentally confused on just what different things like God or science or whatever is even attempting to explain. Okay, because you're explaining order, but and you're explaining how like God has for example, you you you're you're jumping past the first question. It's almost like you're seeing how like well designed things are and you're explaining how the it works, but you're like, wait, so now suddenly you eliminate God from the equation that doesn't follow to do so. It doesn't follow and, and that's where that illustration just helps us see why it okay. doesn't follow. Us being ex- able to explain the workings of the engine uh, it would be a fallacy to therefore say we don't need any creator design or cause of that engine in the same way even if we could understand completely the inner workings of the universe itself it doesn't reconcile the potential at least questions when it comes to something like a creator a designer a sustainer of those systems themselves yeah and that's because these 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 it's, it's almost on a, like a different level of explanation when we think of like what god is even being attempted attempt used to explain or why we believe in God because of the explanatory power he provides is completely different than the explanatory power that science provides. And so us learning about the workings of the universe is is never going to undermine the kind of philosophical reasons we have for believing in God in the first place. Can you go back to explanatory power and re-explain it for those in the audience who maybe don't understand that? Because that's an important point. Mm -hmm. And it is an important point. It's, It's what is something trying to explain? And, and uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a good example of this. If, 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 there, if you find your car and your, your car has a massive dent in the side of it, mm. and I say that, hey, Braden, I know why your car has a massive dent in it because uh, a bee flew into it. Mm. You, would, you would naturally be skeptical of that because the bee doesn't even have like the explanatory capacity to explain the effect. Yeah. Now, and, and this is a little bit different, so I'm kind of confusing two things a little bit, but it, but it will suffice. Now, when we, when we say that, like, potentially that science will eventually explain the beginning of the universe, the proper answer to that is no, it won't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have the capacity yeah. to explain something like that, and that's why we use God to explain it. Why doesn't it have the capacity? Well, because like what we have to like think is that when we talk about the beginning of the universe and trying to explain the natural world itself, the natural cosmos, we can't use a natural explanation of that. Like yeah. the natural is the very thing we're trying to explain. Something can't cause itself. So we, we know that there has to be something outside of nature that accounts for that. And so, so this scientific explanation, it's just not even on the same explanatory level 
as something like a, a supernatural creator. Yeah. And, and so they're, they're not even like working, they're not working against each other and they're not competing for the same things. And I think this is where most Christians will, uh, or we should admit, that a lot of the workings of the universe are fully explained like naturalistically because God created it that way. Yeah. Not everything is God's direct intentional intervention. There's a there's an aspect where he's sovereign over it all. But every time a leaf falls, it doesn't mean that God causally caused that yeah. leaf to fall. It's no, we can explain it through natural processes. And this makes sense because that's how we believe God ordered the world. Not everything is a miracle. There's a reason miracles are miracles because they're unique. They're special. They're like awesome yeah and not everything is chalked up that way god uses natural processes so just us understanding these natural processes uh, doesn't doesn't undermine the need for god and will never undermine the yeah. need for god because a lot of those gaps in our knowledge science isn't even in principle capable yeah of explaining yeah we're not we don't believe god in the god of the gaps that's not why we believe in theism at all so yeah or at least in in this way of kind of caricaturing it sure okay it's yeah. there definitely are gaps in knowledge and and there are certain gaps in knowledge that i think can only be fulfilled or filled by god or some sort of god-like explanation because categorically science can't explain those yeah. categorically it, so it's not even like a lack of time like give it more time and it can you're saying categorically it categorically okay. exactly and just in principle now where the character characterization is flawed is how people kind of they they make it look like there's just something we don't understand and therefore, we just use God to fill it, whereas it's the exact opposite. No, no, there's certain things like the beginning of the universe that we understand very well, mm. and we understand that the natural will never be able to explain it. Therefore, deductively, we come up with a, 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 an explanation, personal explanation outside of nature, logically. So it's not that I can't understand that, therefore, God did it. It's no, I understand this really well, and God is the only one who can actually fulfill or fill that explanatory gap. Yeah, someone who wasn't within the natural constraints had to create everything that is physically available. I mean, you, you so someone had to transcend time, space, matter, or whatever three <laughs> the tree out of things you want to say. Like, someone had to trans, so God had to transcend that to create all of that, and so logically that follows because. How are you going to, and isn't this interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when the Big Bang Theory originally was uh, put forth and kind of like started to take a root in the scientific community, uh, weren't a lot of scientists of the atheistic uh, worldview concerned because it seemed to support theism as opposed to working against it? Yes, and that's such an important point because I think a lot of Christians, for whatever reason, believe that we have this adversarial relationship to the Big Bang cosmology where it's just not true. The, the pushback when it came to Big Bang cosmology, at least initially, was from naturalists. Yeah. Why? Because Big Bang cosmology, it uh, it concludes that there's an absolute origin. There's, there's an origin to the universe. So the universe isn't eternal. It's finite. Mm. And once you do that, once you come up with this absolute beginning point, the next logical question is, well, then what caused the universe to exist? Yeah. If the universe is eternal, you don't need a cause, just True. in the same way that we don't need a cause for God. But once you have that beginning point, you have to start asking, what is the cause? And there are clear implications of that because, as we just talked about, that's the cause of the complete origin of the natural world. There's no naturalistic explanation that we can use to, ex to explain what caused nature itself yeah it's like it's it's something can't cause itself it's like saying uh, i think brayden created brayden yeah well no we're trying to explain how brayden like came into existence in the first place so it couldn't be you who caused it yeah so i mean how do naturalists even respond to such arguments there's there's a few different ways i mean i think some people maybe still try to hold on to a eternal universe through other cosmologies like inflationary cosmologies and we don't have to get into all that uh some people will just claim we just don't know yet and so, oh, so they just assume with time we'll somehow find out which is i mean to me that's just an atheism of the gaps argument yeah and, 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 <laughs> that's such a good it's an atheism of the gaps right? that time will you're right that it, time it, will it, reveal exactly that. in the same way that hey we don't understand so just give it time and chance eventually and it's just no that's that's where it's so important to understand that these arguments uh, aren't based on ignorance. It's based on what we know. Oh. We know that will never explain it. There, there's other That's things so like maybe through a quantum vacuum and different ways to kind of redefine nothing, like the universe coming out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And so there's different ways. I just think it's all, uh, it's all 
it's it's failed projects. Yeah, I mean, it's because no matter what, I feel like mechanism that transcends space time matter, whatever, uh, it still has to have a origination of that potential mm-hmm. or mechanism. I don't know. To me, it seems like it always goes back to some. Even if you want to call it impersonal, something. So I would say someone, aka God, but something had to be eternal and beget and produce or originate all that we now see. Yes. Because that that's what, in, to your point, I thought this was so key. This is not us saying this out of ignorance. That's so key. It's because what we know about like how thermodynamics work and how like we, we see the universe winding down. So wait, if it's winding down, then it had to be wound up in the first place. Like all these things are so key because... At the end of the day, I mean, which worldview out of those two of theism and naturalism seems to be better uh, going with the science? Mm-hmm. And let me let let's let's kind of transition yeah, because yeah. I I think that's going to lead into some important questions. But when it comes to this idea that there's this conflict between science and God, there's there's almost this second pillar. So be, besides just this idea of you know science is filling these gaps, there's also the concept that theism historically, religion historically has held back science. In the sense that you see the church silencing Galileo when he's coming up with what we now know to be true theories about how the universe works. And he was a Christian. He was. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and so that's a That was a funny issue there, yeah. <laughs> a different interesting point. And so the idea being that effectively when you kind of look at the history, it's it's there does seem to be this conflict because there is this kind of adversarial relationship between the church and science. And the, the, I think the proper response to that is, first of all, not to fully deny it, because there have been times where the church has held back the progress of science, and it's just deeply unfortunate. But to, to express that as the kind of complete view of history is just completely flawed. Mm-hmm. When you actually look at the history of kind of science and theism, what you see is really interesting, because you already brought this up. Galileo is a, a theist. He's a, he's a Christian. When you look at a lot of kind of the main, we can call them maybe the founders or the forefathers mm-hmm. of science, especially kind of in the 16th, 17th century when science really exploded, yeah. it became the discipline it is. The vast majority of them are theists. Many of them are Christians. Now, what a naturalist will respond to is that the fact that they believe in God is is irrelevant. It's almost just a coincidence. Hmm. So, so most people won't deny, you really can't deny that most of these early scientists who really made it into the discipline it is believed in God, but they'll just say it's irrelevant. Like, I don't know if this is actually true, but let's say the people who invented shoemaking, they were Christians. It's okay. Well, their belief in God is completely irrelevant. So kind of like, so what? It's so what? Yeah. The problem with that way of thinking is that it's not just that these these men were believed in God. It's specifically that belief in God and that conviction that inspired them to do science in the first place. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. So when you look at like, and they're very outspoken about it. So when you look at Galileo, Kepler, these people, it's it was convictions like. There's a God, there's a creator behind the universe who created it in an orderly, consistent way. And so we're able to find patterns. It's not just chaos out there like you would expect to find because there is this rational mind imposing on order. So we can find it. Not only that, but this conviction that God created us with rational minds capable of understanding that order. People like Galileo took that to to imply that God wanted us to use those faculties that he yeah. gave us to actually you know, study the world around us in the natural world. Uh, What's interesting is one of the main beliefs that kind of really led to the emergence of science was this belief that God had free will. Mm. How is that relevant? (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) It was because of this conviction that God had free will when he created the universe. So he wasn't kind of restricted to the specific type of universe or world or natural world that he could create. Meaning because he was free, there's many different possibilities about the way he could actually decide or, or actually create the world. Yeah, that makes sense. And because of that, what you couldn't do, which was kind of more like the process in the past before that period, you can't just kind of sit in your, your lab and or sit in your office and just purely reason to what the world is like, which is kind of like what Aristotle and a lot of these thinkers did. Because God could have created it in many different ways. He's not kind of constrained. In order to actually understand the world that God actually created, because he was free to create in so many different ways, you, there's really no 
uh, there's no alternative to actually going out there and looking. Yeah. To going out there and observing what creation is like. And that's how we can actually find out what world God decided to create. So it was really that conviction that God was free. To practice science. To, to, yeah, to, that, that, that pushed people out into the world to, to observe it, which just is what science is. Interesting. And, and so, so when you kind of look at the history of science, it actually leads to, to, to this kind of like problem for this, this version of the conflict thesis because it's not just that these people were theists, but it was, it was they were inspired to do science specifically by those theistic convictions. And, and so really, I mean, you can ask the question far from, you know, theism holding back science, even though at portions it did, but would there even be a science had it not been for belief in God? And, I mean, that's open, up, that's open to debate. I think it's, it, it's controversial, but I think at the very least what we can conclude is that science wouldn't have pro- progressed and, like, flourished to the point that we see it today had it not for, been for belief in God. Yeah. And so I, I think that kind of, like, second main pillar of, of kind of this conflict thesis is clearly flawed. Yeah. So, so far what we've established is, like, it's very clear that theism and science are not by any means at odds with each other, but... In fact, at least historically and what we can prove just by looking back at history is that theism inspired these uh, these giants who mm-hmm. made fantastic discoveries toward the practice of science. Yep. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Keep going. Well, here's where, I, here's where I think it actually gets fun because, yeah, I think that... That, general... that wasn't fun already. So. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. But that general conflict thesis, as you just summarized perfectly, is flawed. That science and, and theism are at, odd, uh, at odds. I think there is a conflict. But the conflict isn't between science and belief in God. The conflict is actually between science and naturalism. Ah, okay. So before you even tell us, I'm just excited to set the tension even more. Mm -hmm. So like we're saying not only is science and theism compatible, but science and naturalism are not compatible. Yes. Okay, let's go. And and, and, I mean, that's that's so fun. Like, well, obviously I have to defend it. I haven't defended it yet. But but it's just... Assertion, yeah. It's just like, it's so... Like, I I get excited about it because it's just so opposite. Like, that that would sound like such a crazy statement. We usually flip those two. We do flip those two. Even a lot of Christians flip those two. And how how I'm going to defend this is... One thing that we know, just in general... And this is just a general principle that we know. Something is only as good as its foundation. So take a bridge, for example. A bridge is only as good as the foundation it's standing on. So if you say that you designed a really good bridge, but it doesn't have a foundation to support it, you didn't design a good bridge. You designed a collapsed bridge, right? Yes. The same actually holds true for knowledge disciplines like science. Science and just all knowledge discipline rests on certain presuppositions, basically just sort of underlying assumptions that allow for that discipline to even operate in the first place. And the main argument is going to be that when it comes to these presuppositions of science, that naturalism can't actually make sense of them. They can't actually support those presuppositions of science, so therefore they undermine the whole discipline of science in the first place. They provide a faulty foundation. Hmm. So there really is no science, or at least... uh, And whereas theism provides... uh, It it actually can support those presuppositions. And so theism just provides a foundation for science that actually allows it to operate in the first place that naturalism can't. Okay, can, can I, just, I want to pause there for a second because I, I think I'm tracking, and to be honest, guys, I think I'm tracking with this for the first time in a whole new way because if theism provides the foundation, then it opens the door to see, like you said, God's freedom in how he created the world. So it's an open door to say, we don't know exactly how he ordered it, how he designed it. So let's use science to discover, to discover how God did it. Uh, I think that's amazing because you, we're not putting constraints on what we're going to find. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that's what motivated the early scientists. So yeah. I'm going to go back to those specific presuppositions that kind of inspired them to go do science in the first place. And But the specific argument here is that when it comes to those things, naturalism can't uh, uh, support those assumptions of science, meaning it can't support science itself. Interesting. And this will become a little bit more clear as we go through. So I'm, I'm just going to, there's many more than this, but I'm just going to talk about two kind of assumptions of science, presuppositions of science. And these are specifically the two that motivated those early scientific founders in the first place. That's the order that we find in the universe 
and second, the rational minds that are capable of understanding okay. that order. So first, one, just what science presupposes, just for science to even get off the ground, uh, it has there has to be this conviction that there actually is an order. There is a consistency to the universe around us. And we, we basically call these certain fundamental laws of nature. The, the world operates in a certain way. There are consistent laws that allow us to go out there and find patterns, to make future predictions, to mm -hmm. understand how th certain things work because they work consistently. And if, if there's not this order, if it's just chaos in the world, like there's, like the, you can't do, the, science doesn't even make sense. Okay, yeah. You, you can't do it. Yet it's really hard for naturalism to explain this order, this consistency that we see out there in the universe. At best, what it what it can claim is that the fact that there's order in the universe is really just blind luck. So it just happened to be that way, so that's why it is that way. It just happened to be okay. that way because what we have to remember is that naturalism eliminates any intention. It eliminates any potential designer behind the universe creating it in a certain way. And so uh, what we should actually expect to find un under the naturalistic picture is we should expect to find chaos. Yeah, yeah, that's what you'd think. You would think because everything is just operating based on kind of just blind principle, intentionless processes. And this is something where uh, I don't have the quote directly in front of me, but this is something that actually uh, Albert Einstein pointed out himself. One second, I actually do have the quote. Clutch. Clutch. <laughs> uh, what he says is this, and he's kind of getting at this point. He says, this is Albert Einstein writing a personal letter to someone. He says, you find it strange that I consider the comprehensibility of the world as a miracle or as an eternal mystery. Well, a priori, basically being before we actually go out there and look and, and find different, one should expect a chaotic world, which cannot be grasped by the mind in any way. The success of such a great project, or success of such a project presupposes a high degree of ordering of the objective world, and this could not be expected a priori. That is the miracle, which is being constantly reinforced as our knowledge expands. And what he's hitting on is he's hitting on just this principle that given this naturalistic picture of the universe, no design, no intention, nothing, no sustainer, no creator, what you should actually expect to find that out there is chaos, in which case there is no science. But that's not what we find. We find this like magnificent ordering, this just real mathematical precision, precision to yeah. the way that the world operates. Naturalism can't explain that. At best, it's you know just a fortunate accident. So to be aware that naturalists will probably put out well that's just the way it is like that's going to be the their sort of argument but just to point out that's kind of just that's just a weak argument and compared to our argument which is saying well actually we believe there's someone who intelligently designed it to operate in the way that we see it designing consistently and by these patterns exactly and and that, that, that that's the point they they have that's really their only turn at this point that's just the way it is and that's just a non-explanation in the first place it's just a at best it's just kind of like a brute flat fact about the universe and that's like that's very just poor justification yeah and in fact it seems like the total opposite where it's not just that it's a brute fact but under naturalism you should actually expect to find the opposite it's a good point so it, it it wouldn't even follow to like have that be the assumption like what was said in the quote like the assumption of naturalism would probably be chaos other than order yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but but on the other hand, so now we think of that presupposition of science that that high ordering naturalism can't really support it, or at least it doesn't seem to fit natural or fit well into a naturalist. That's funny. It doesn't seem to yeah. fit naturally. I see. It, it, okay. it does. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> but theism, on the other hand, can actually explain it very well because when we think about like the intelligibility, the mathematical exactitude of the universe around us, that makes sense as the artifact of a rational mind. Like if God Himself is rational. It really like stands to reason that he would want to create a rational, orderly, comprehensible yeah. universe. And not only that, but God gives you this, like, he's capable of it. And not only he's capable of creating it such a way, he's capable of sustaining it, which is necessary to make future predictions mm. and this, the sort. So just the basic point, when it comes to this presupposition of science, it fits very well under theism and at the very least doesn't fit well or maybe even stronger, it, it, it contradicts or, or 
completely goes against naturalism. Seems incompatible. It, it seems incompatible with it. Yeah. At the very, at the very least, what we can say is that this presupposition fits much better in theism than naturalism, which is yeah. just beyond obvious. In which case, the existence of an orderly universe serves at some level as evidence for theism. I think this is a quick important moment just to say, like, even if someone gets hung up on going to a degree of certainty in these discussions, like, well, you can't be certain. Lots that could be said there with certainty. The point being, at, at the very least, if you're going to put uh, a scale where it has to lean one way or another, it very clearly and distinguishably leans towards theism, not naturalism. And so that's a very important, because even if someone is getting hung up on, well, I'm not 100% certain. Well, are you comfortable with 90%? Are you comfortable with it, like, you know, I'm being speaking figuratively but like are you comfortable with it very heavily the evidence that we're talking about here philosophically leaning towards theism not naturalism yeah and and exactly those those type of like retorts just completely miss the point if, if we're looking for certainty you can almost be certain about nothing like you, there's almost nothing you can be truly certain about uh i mean you like this was the project of Rene descartes where he, yeah. he kind of played the skeptic and his conclusion was that i can be certain I think therefore I exist because I'm a thinking thing. I, I exist. So his conclusion is that I can at least know I exist. And then maybe you have mathematical certainty is about certain mathematical principles, but that, but yeah, that's, that's just completely missing the point. The point is given the evidence that we have available to us right now, and given this just presupposition of science and what, what is necessary to make it run in the first place or operate in the first place, this makes sense under theism. Yeah. It doesn't make sense under naturalism. Mm. So you just start to begin to see that, hey, the conflict isn't where most people think it is. The conflict is really between this naturalistic worldview, this atheistic worldview, and science. These aren't pars that are like boxing with each other, like peers boxing with each other. There's clearly a dominant heavy hand with one of these two yeah yeah okay. i mean i mean just rationally rationally I mean, yeah. I, I mean how could how could we just say hey in order for science to operate there has to be this incredible precision this incredible consistency this incredible stability to the world to the laws of nature which worldview does that fit better in uh, a worldview where you you start with in the beginning god in the beginning this perfect mind or a worldview where you start with in the beginning were particles and there's no intention or design behind it yeah it's, I mean, the answer is just obvious. Now, is that conclusive proof of God's existence? No, but at the very least, I think you can, given the workings of science, given its success, you can say it's evidence for God's existence. Yeah. But right now, I'm not even like I'm not even really claiming that. I'm just saying that science and its presuppositions fit better within a theistic worldview than a naturalistic one. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously you'd have to consider so many more arguments to, for example, arrive at Christianity as being the truth. But that's just one of those things where I feel like certainty compounds when you add all the variables of the the, the debates and the things that are on the table as far as the, the evidence. That's when certainty starts to compound. This is just one of the pieces. So keep going. I just wanted to throw in that little side comment. Exactly. And so, But there's a second presupposition of science. And this one I actually think is more devastating to naturalism. Oh, interesting. And so it, it, when, you, when you think of just like what is necessary for science to operate in the first place, it's not just that there's an orderly, precise world around us. There also have to be minds equipped and capable of understanding that order and that world. Oh, yeah. There have, to be, there have to be just rational minds that are capable of grasping the inner workings of the universe and the natural world. This is something that I think creates deep problems for naturalism in just accounting for the just the existence of natural or just the existence of rational minds in the first place. And one way you, that you can think about this, and we can kind of flesh this out more, but just think of the whole like naturalistic story. How do we explain our minds, our brains, our cognitive faculties? Well, there's really only one game in town, and it's through kind of evolutionary processes. So our minds were... Uh, develop, they form, they evolve from mindless matter mm. yeah. by way of undirected mindless processes. Right. So we have to account for mind from mindless matter by way of undirected mindless processes. Because I think the thing that's really always bothered me about evolutionism or evolutionary theory, of no matter what theory you follow, is that it assumes intelligence as part of the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's especially, yeah, and once you get rid of that intelligence, which just a naturalistic 
picture of the world does it creates problem so it's really the problem here isn't just evolution it's more kind of evolution being coupled with removing god from the picture yeah yeah for sure for sure and uh, i i like how uh, john lennox illustrates this because he's a professor at oxford and he says he talks to his colleagues from now from from time to time about this kind of thing and he says hey where where does where do our co-? and i'm not doing it quite justice but sure. he basically says where do our cognitive faculties come from and of course through this evolutionary process this this process of kind of undirected unguided development and he says and you trust them like you trust your cognitive faculties <laughs> and it's, of course the answer is yes because if you don't trust them there's no knowledge there's no science yeah. and so the question he kind of follows up with was well would you trust the capacities of a computer if they were formed by the undirected mindless processes and the answer is of course no mm. right the only reason a computer works and why we can trust it and its abilities was because it was programmed because it was designed by an intelligent mind yeah. if this is just the end result of time and chance there's no way that it can give us information yeah. and and that and, and just like this reliable process and so it, it creates this huge problem uh where really naturalism undermines are cognitive faculties and i'm gonna and there's different ways to exploit this there's yeah for sure i want to hear this <laughs> i'm going to try to give you one uh this is kind of complex so i'm going to do my best to explain it but i think one of the best arguments for this kind of on this general theme is by alvin planinga and he's probably the greatest living christian philosopher and he forwarded an argument called the evolutionary argument against naturalism and the idea being kind of on some of these principles that we've already been talking about. Under naturalism, we explain everything, including our cognitive faculties, so our mind, perception, reasoning abilities, whatever those units are that produce certain beliefs in us. We explain everything through evolution and Darwinian development. One thing that we know about Darwinian processes is that they're aimed at survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for example, you know, uh, certain you know uh mutations or, or genetic changes take place in species and then natural selection selects the, the the species that survive they're the ones who kind of propagate and, and keep their characteristics going yeah and and so uh it's it's those features it's those changes within you that help you survive that are the ones that actually continue going forward the problem with this picture is that if our mind developed the same way what that means is that our cognitive faculties, the aim and, and the kind of what they're geared towards evolutionary uh, through like evolution is actually aimed at survival. It's aimed at like producing beliefs in a way that help you survive. It's not aimed at what we think it is, which is truth or understanding mm. reality. Oh, yeah. So, so just track with me. Okay. The, the natural response or what you might be kind of like tempted to think is, well, maybe those two go together because maybe it's it's the beliefs beliefs being produced that are in concord or in in consistent with reality and understanding truth those are the ones that best help you survive but what kind of uh, most people admit even like naturalistic evolutionists admit is that there is this gap where it's true beliefs aren't necessarily the ones that help you best survive so for for example let me just give you one in general when it comes to kind of like our culture and this is a very good thing, not just our culture, but other cultures, we've come to this belief that human beings around us have a sense of intrinsic worth, intrinsic dignity, Yes. right? And we have a certain moral obligation to respect that worth and that dignity. And on one hand, if naturalism is true, this idea that human beings have this intrinsic dignity is false, but it's also, there's no question that that belief has helped us survive. So it makes sense why our cognitive faculties have produced that belief. It's helped our species survive, yet it would be a false belief under naturalism. The idea being, and I know this is, a, this is complex, but the idea being there is this gap between what is actually true and what actually enhances survival. So when your your cognitive faculties are producing beliefs, and there's so many more examples of this, and there like you can you even there's people like evolutionary psychologists and different people who admit this. Just because a belief is true doesn't necessarily mean that it helps you survive. Just because you formed a belief in a certain way that helps you survive doesn't mean it's true. There's this gap. And this gap is a massive problem because when it comes to any of your beliefs, any that these cognitive faculties that your brain, which is just the product of this, this evolutionary process aimed at survival, 
there's no way of actually knowing which of those beliefs produced are actually true and which ones are adaptive yet false. And so what naturalism does and, and this evolutionary picture under naturalism does is it really undermines our cognitive faculties and their ability to attain truth about the world. There's just really no way of knowing if any of our beliefs or which one of our beliefs are true. This is a huge problem because science, like just for it to even operate in the first place, like though you need those rational faculties, you need that ability to know and attain knowledge about the world around you. And so when it comes to this presupposition of science that the, that the, in order for science to operate, there needs to be rational minds that can actually attain truth about the world. Naturalism not only can't support that, but it actually undermines that. Wow. And, and so it creates this, this huge problem. And there's so many different ways to exploit this. And one, one reason I find this so kind of almost funny, ironic, is because this is like the basis of the whole conflict thesis. What a, a naturalist is saying is that science is pushing us away from belief in God. Science is pointing us to naturalism. Whereas the reality is, if naturalism is actually true, our rational abilities are undermined. Therefore, the whole enterprise of science itself is undermined. So it can't possibly point us anywhere. Mm. Like you, if naturalism is true, you can't use science to actually support naturalism. It, it might be true, but there's no way of knowing it. And so if it is true and you believe it, it's just pure blind luck. There's wow. no rational justification for it. And, and so this, this creates a huge problem. Naturalism just can't support just these and more just presuppositions of science. They end up undermining science itself. Theism, on the other hand, can perfectly account for this. Right? If, if you start with a rational mind, it's not difficult to understand where rational minds came from in terms of like human beings and our, our species. Uh, and, it, and especially if God, if we already understand or presuppose that God created the, the universe in this intelligible kind of orderly way, it really naturally follows that he would want to give us the faculties yeah. to properly understand that natural world. So theism can explain it like very naturally, very clearly, just in a perfect fit, whereas naturalism not only can't explain that presupposition of science, it undermines it. And when you undermine the foundation of something, you undermine the structure itself. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, and, and so the, like, I, this is where, it, it, I just think it's so interesting because it's really the opposite of the conflict thesis. And I'll, I'll kind of almost like conclude or summarize this because we've talked about a lot of different things, but you can almost formulate it in two kind of different claims. So there's a weaker claim or, or maybe like a less ambitious claim and a stronger claim. Okay. So I, I, I think that the weaker claim is obviously true. It's, it's just at the very least when it comes to science and specifically like the presuppositions of science, these things fit better within a theistic worldview than within a naturalistic one. And that kind of goes back to the point we're, we're, we're talking about. If you begin with in the beginning God, you can like, we have a reasonable explanation for how things like the universe got orderly, how there are rational minds capable of explaining it. Yet, if you start with in the beginning particles, it's really like difficult to even see how these kind of assumptions could have ever obtained. And this is what makes sense. And this is specifically why it's absolutely no coincidence that the, the, like, the scientific enterprise itself emerged out of Christianity. Yeah. It, it's not a coincidence. It's not irrelevant. It's specifically because of these logical beliefs and because theism can provide the support for the presuppositions and therefore science itself uh, that inspired people to do science in the first place. So that's kind of the weak claim. The stronger claim is that actually God's existence and, and maybe at a certain level kind of just belief in God is a necessary condition for science to operate in the first place. Interesting. And and if this is true, which I, I I mean I do think it's true, it leads to like naturalism and science to be at very very deep odds. Yes. And definitely think that that's where the evidence leads. Wow. Yeah, I mean this I love conversations like this too because it just stems into needing to look at so many things, but you're right. I think in the previous episode too you nailed this like we need to start with the philosophy of science before, and I think everyone just wants to dig into, well, show me the evidence for creationism, show me all these things, but the, these two episodes, I think, are so foundational to, like, okay, let's first think about science first, so this was incredibly helpful. As we close, the one thing I want to ask back to you is, uh, well, what question would you um, have a theist 
ask someone if they have a friend who's a naturalist to help get them thinking in this way? Is there a good question to, sp I know there's, then you'd lead to more questions and so on, but like, is there a good starting question to get your naturalist friend thinking? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it, it starts with kind of maybe understanding those concepts of, we, we just almost start with this assumption that science works and therefore let's explain it where we don't really naturally dig deeper into things yeah. like what is the science even assuming to operate? So I think helping a naturalist see that, that there are certain aspects of science which aren't even scientific questions or really philosophical questions when it comes to the foundations of science. I would, I would push someone on how they, they can explain this. How, how did they actually explain the order? When it comes to the origin or the order and precision that we see in the universe and it just is isn't like i guess that's possible explanation but it's not a real explanation at all yeah how do they actually explain the existence of rational minds in the first place especially given the processes that they use to explain how rational minds develop they seem to undermine this that ability to trust in our cognitive faculties and all that so i would push that way because like i think you summarized it well where we always want to get to the well what is the science what is the science and there's actually a real deeper level of thinking that yes. we we do a disservice to because we want to get to the evidence yet honestly a lot of us don't even understand evidence in the first place and how evidence properly uh what it does and how it operates and so you have to dig into these more kind of foundational philosophical issues to really understand what's at play yeah and so first i would just hope that christians in general would dig deeper into yeah. these kind of things and then push people there because i don't think most naturalists are prepared for this they're they're prepared for very surface level popular level conversations and the better we can get at really showing yeah. that we've thought deeper about these things and that their worldview can't explain these things the more we can actually convince them they're good at putting you on the hot seat but they're not good on the hot seat when the questions are honestly asked of them to explain yep it's amazing it is amazing and that that that's a really important principle where it's it's really easy to play the skeptic on things yes to sit back and question someone's worldview and so i i'm right there with you where at times we have to answer things about our worldview, but at times it's, it's more appropriate for us to play the skeptic. They have something to answer for. They have questions to answer, and we need to get good at asking those questions. Yeah. So good. Uh, we'll definitely have to have Matt back, as always. I mean, he lives in town, and he's a great friend. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking this out loud for the first time. Maybe uh, the next topic might have to be something along the lines of miracles or things like that. But mm -hmm. Matt and I will discuss, and he'll be back. But give feedback if this was enjoyable, if there's further topics you would love to hear Matt and I discuss. But uh, hopefully this was fruitful for you. You might want to listen to it a second time, perhaps. <laughs> These are good things, Matt. So thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Adventures in Theology.